Welcome to Diverse, the podcast for the Society of Women Engineers. SWE supports the advancement of women in engineering and technology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and SWE's blog all together at altogether.swe.org. Are you taking full advantage of your SWE membership? Your membership grants you access to SWE Advanced Learning for career and life. Your membership unlocks free and discounted on-demand content 24 hours a day from around the world. The SWE Advanced Learning also has live learning. With multiple tracks, Advance offers something for every career and every stage of your career. SWE's many offerings feature subject matter experts from a wide variety of thought leaders in STEM and leadership. When you want to skill up, turn to Advance first. Access learning at advancelearning.swe.org. Hi, I'm Rachel Morford, President of the Society of Women Engineers, and welcome to SWE's Diverse Podcast Series. Please remember to add this podcast to your iTunes and like or follow us on social media. Visit SWE.org for more details. Today, I'm joined by Penny Gunterman. Penny is the Vice President of Operations Portfolio Marketing at Aviva. She holds a PhD in Chemical Engineering and a BS in Chemical Engineering and Business from UC Berkeley and Caltech, respectively. Thanks so much for joining us today, Penny. Thanks, Rachel. Happy to be here. I have a few questions for you that I know our listeners are going to be excited to hear all about. Starting with, you have degrees in chemical engineering. Can you tell us what initially sparked or inspired your interest in science, technology, engineering, and math? Yeah, definitely. Even from a young age, I always had fun taking things apart, seeing how they worked, fitting them together, coming up with different ways to solve problems. So STEM was always a very natural place to go. Now, in terms of why chemical engineering and why pursuing that further, despite being interested in literature and language and a lot of different things, the real question as I was coming out of high school was, what did I want to be when I grow up? And looking at it further, STEM was the ultimate and play that in addition to answering a lot of really interesting questions that society might be facing, that especially as a chemical engineer, that I would have the flexibility to go into all sorts of different industries. I could go into biomedical, I could go into polymers, I could go into energy. And so that flexibility is what really sparked my interest in continuing on in engineering and the general love of, of STEM and that thought process in general. Thank you for sharing that, Penny. I really love that description, the ultimate and play that engineers can pursue when they are getting their degrees. So thanks for that concept. And you do have both business and chemical engineering degrees, as I described in your introduction. Can you tell me how those help you in your role as the vice president of operations portfolio marketing? Absolutely. So chemical engineering and business in general dovetail really nicely because you've got a very analytical mindset from the chemical engineering. You have a sense of order of magnitude, what does and doesn't matter. You couple that with business and you couple that with what is that going to look like at the end of the day? What is the ROI? You have a very nice combination of being both grounded in physical processes. So you know, let's say the laws of physics that you're bound by, but also 
a certain sense of reality that business provides that at the end of the day, in order for an idea to take off to be successful, we are in a market-driven scenario. So it's important to also consider what will be the implication of this on the market? What, how does this tie to our ability to pivot and deliver on certain objectives? So the main thing that from that training that I then use in my role as VP of Operations Portfolio Marketing is thinking through a consistent set of thoughts. So being able to apply that same rigor of consistency of thought from engineering training into marketing. For example, if we say that our target audience is X, we know they care about Y and they need Z to be effective. Does the proposal that is coming forward match those points of X, Y, Z? It sounds really obvious when you parse out your thoughts like that, but you'd be surprised at how often proposals are not self-consistent. Although it's not what you would expect to see in someone in marketing, that style and rigor of thought is absolutely a perfect match from engineering business to that private sector marketing role. I also really enjoyed the fact that you set that problem up as a math problem with different X, Y, and Z variables. So I think that goes to your rigor of thinking and applying your engineering and STEM background to that business problem. So thank you for sharing that. One of your passions is helping industrial companies transform how they operate through technology. What role do engineers play in that transformation? Engineers play an absolute central role to how industries transform. And this is the really cool aspect of working for a software company that specializes in those heavy industries, that specializes in helping those energy companies and the pharmaceutical companies. Because at the end of the day, a lot of what we know behind those processes has not changed over the last hundred years. We're still bound by the same laws of thermodynamics. We're still bound by the same efficiency calculations. But what you can change about it is all of the intersections and the conversations in between. So for a decision to be made based on particular readings, that information has to get to some smart engineer on the other side of the globe. And that smart engineer is going to collaborate with another smart engineer. And so the transformation for industry is the ability to tap into the brilliance of all of these smart engineers around the globe. And what's really exciting about technology is in ways you are augmenting the physical limitations of naturally being human. So I think about, I've heard about engineers that use a lot of IoT sensors and advanced analytics algorithms, almost as an extension of their own fingers and of their own brains. Because what they would do is they would see what were the important parameters that we needed to optimize around? What are the sensor readings that we need? And what are the types of correlations that we think might be happening, but perhaps is too complex for what can be solved numerically? And so the power of the engineer is to be able to identify those big ticket areas of opportunity to pull together the relevant 
data sets or to be able to assess the right technologies that are going to be able to accelerate those shortcomings and then drive it to completion. And what I love about working with the engineers who drive these initiatives, we see this all the time, even with our customers, is that they will they will come up with the original idea. They will say, you know what, we can predict a failure of this transformer if we see that there is a standard deviation of a certain voltage reading that that starts to go awry. And they will deploy that one solution and they'll pull the right technologies to make it happen. And once they solve that problem, they look around and they say, well, what can I do next? Right. And so you've got this very passionate group of people with a very powerful and increasingly powerful set of tools solving incrementally more and more difficult problems that we kind of took for granted as just being how industry had to be. So that transformation of these classic heavy industries is really being driven by those engineers using their natural curiosity, using their natural desire to improve the world around them. Thanks so much for sharing that perspective. On a more personal note, you recently overcame leukemia. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it was quite the experience. Uh, It actually started in just normal third trimester pregnancy tests. I was pregnant with our first child and I've always been super healthy. No reason to go to the doctor, didn't even have a primary care physician. I've never had a cavity. And so it wasn't until the third trimester blood test that they come back and they say, huh, that looks a little weird. Well, it could be acute myeloid leukemia, or it could just be a side effect of pregnancy, you know, one or the other, but they couldn't do anything and confirm any tests until after I delivered. So went through normally, delivered, had a perfectly healthy baby boy. Three weeks later, was able to have a bone marrow biopsy, confirmed leukemia diagnosis by seven weeks. I handed off our newborn with my in-laws and went in for leukemia treatment in hospital isolation for basically what would be the next nine months of 2019. So it was definitely quite the roller coaster at the time, but handling it as as an engineer would. Uh, spreadsheets definitely came out. I was tracking all of my blood counts uh, with every successive round of chemo, the challenge is that they knock your immune system and all blood production cells down to the point that uh, you have to stay in hospital isolation. So with the chemo, yes, they kill the leukemia cells, but they're also killing everything else. And so, for example, you can't take a shower because there could be aerosolized pathogens in the water. They draw a bath, they disinfect the water in the bath, and then you can get in. You can't have a regular toothbrush because you have no platelets. And so the toothbrush could be a bleed risk. And instead you get a little sponge on a stick, which is so unsatisfying of a dental uh, regime. But you can imagine the point at which regular hygiene is a risk to your health. You're in a pretty dangerous state. Uh, But, you know, you just got to just kind of focus on what you got to do every day, getting up, putting on real pants because that was that was the indication of success for me at that time was I'm going to put on jeans today and I'm going to go walk the halls of the bone marrow uh, transplant and blood cancer ward because you got to keep moving. 
So in ways, I think I might have got gotten more exercise during that experience than perhaps while the COVID quarantine. But ultimately, really spending that time focusing on what I knew, tracking what I could tell, and ultimately um, happy to say that been able to come out on the other side. The interesting part, of course, was getting out from that experience, launching then into the global pandemic, at which point uh, the world was experiencing a, a very different type of health situation. That's incredible. I, wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I, I was going to say, you. it sounds like you came out of that experience and then we went into a very different kind of isolation around the world. Uh, so you you went from a hospital isolation situation in 2019 to, to going into 2020 and being isolated. But I imagine being at home with your family was, was much more satisfying um, of an experience. And how are you doing now? Doing great. So numbers are back to normal. I'm home, working and, and loving what I do every day. Uh, happy to say also that the at the time, our little baby is now a toddler and enjoying the the challenges of of working with a a terrible two toddler. But also, um, in a major surprise, we actually have another miracle baby. So when when I was originally diagnosed, one of the things they said was that, through the chemo that we would never have children again. And we had actually tried to do a Hail Mary IVF session in between the first chemo round and what would be the subsequent chemo, chemo rounds, just because the field of oncofertility is, is not very far along, but they, they had some evidence to suggest that maybe there was a chance of being able to help people continue with their family lives if they try to do a session in between the first and, and second round. So we did that. And you appreciate that as far as science has come, there are certain boundaries to, to what can be achieved because really we're trying to do this IVS session after a round of chemo. I was three months postpartum. My hair is falling out. Uh, unsurprisingly, my body was like, you have got to be kidding me. So although we tried, uh, that ended up ultimately failing. And I'll go ahead and take this moment to say that for anyone who's out there with family challenges, I see you. It's very, very tough. But we had to keep going with the chemo treatment. Coming out from that and being told that the odds of having a family naturally were very low, lo and behold, our surprise when the tests came back positive. But there are so few instances in literature of a successful pregnancy that I and none of my doctors even believe that this was going to happen either. And so we were almost scared to be hopeful. And, and it wasn't until we saw the milestones tick off of 20 weeks, 24, 26, 28. And you think, oh, my gosh, this is going to happen. I guess I should tell my boss that I'm going to be going on maternity leave, 32, 36. And now we've got a happy, healthy baby girl. She just turned four months old and doing great. Older brother loves her and uh, life life is really good. And actually, not just personal life. While I was on maternity leave, I was in fact promoted at work. 
which is fantastic. And I think really says something about the future of women in the workforce, employers starting to really recognize what we bring to the table and the fact that, sure, we might be out for 10, 10 weeks, but I've been at my current company for 10 years. I've got another 20 in me. And so really focusing in that long game, both for mothers and fathers who are taking time to bond, I think says something about uh, the positive direction that industry is going. Wow. Congratulations on both the birth of your your daughter and you know the promotion. That's incredible. And I think that's so inspiring to many of our listeners who might be questioning taking that time away from work for for bonding with their children. Uh, so thank you very much for sharing that. And I'm wondering, you mentioned spreadsheets. I'm wondering how in your treatment, your approach as an engineer and the perspective that you have as someone with a STEM background really supported you during that time when you were in the hospital and, and going through all of the procedures. Absolutely. It became pretty common practice for every new attending doctor to ask me if I had a medical background. And the reality is definitely as a STEM trained person, you know how to do literature searches, you know how to think critically. So there were certainly a lot of papers that were read in that time in hospital isolation. Um, I also referenced a spreadsheet that that became my way of really understanding the world around me and helping better expect what was going to be. So one challenge with medicine is that, yes, on the one hand, we know a lot, but every human body responds so differently that if you try to ask a doctor, when will my counts recover? When will, when approximately do you think I'm going to be getting out? They really can't tell you. By tracking in my spreadsheet, I tracked all my blood counts. I was tracking my hemoglobin levels, my platelet levels, my neutrophils, which are a proxy for your immune system. Uh, it helped me get a sense for when I might be expecting a next transfusion. And I also started keeping notes about when I fevered or when I received certain medication. And in so doing, I started to become able to predict when, let's say, the next fever event would occur, at which point once you fever, they have to put you on antibiotics. And there's a whole parade of chest x-rays and blood tests that that commence um, by being able to look at my previous data and looking at the trends and, and tracking, okay, I'm starting to feel cold and it's not at 2 p.m. when the AC system goes into hyperdrive. So I'm probably going to spike a fever soon. I remember I told one of the doctors, I'm like, hey, I think I'm going to spike a fever in the next 24 hours. And he chuckles. He's like, oh, you're doing so great. No, you're, you're fine. A couple of hours later, boom fever. There was a part of me that felt really proud of being able to correctly predict that I was going to be fevering. And I think what that did, though, was they say that disappointment is expectation minus reality. And the data really helped me tailor my expectations and, and also psychologically just gave me something 
that I felt like I could control. A spreadsheet is familiar. So even if I'm there with all these beeping IVs and you've got people waking you up at 4 a.m. for blood draw and then 7 a.m. and all, all hours of the day, that sense of control played a really big psychological factor in giving me something to hold on to. Uh, but I also, the flip side, I think, of the of the analytical mind is also recognizing how far you can go with it. So recognizing that the spreadsheet wasn't going to be perfect, recognizing that the particular data set that I saw in such and such paper wasn't going to perfectly apply to my situation. And in that case, I remember a piece of advice that my doctor friend gave me. He said, focus on what's actionable. So if there is no action that you can take right now with the information that you have, then don't worry about it. And that that really helped, I think, recognizing the boundaries of what I could do, the boundaries of what could be reasonably known. And if there was nothing that could be reasonably done at that time, accept it, go put on some headphones and go walking in the hallway again, get in some steps because that was something that I did know was going to be helpful no matter what the situation. Yeah, I can really see how that's incredibly impactful advice and probably for everyone listening more so than just in your situation, Penny, with the leukemia. But I think in work situations that we encounter, that's absolutely something that we need to keep in mind. It's focus on the actionable. That's really good. A really good perspective. Thank you for sharing. If you could give any one piece of advice to current engineers who would like to move up the leadership ranks, what would it be? Yes. If I had to give one piece of advice, it would definitely be focus on the vision. Focus on the bigger goal that you are after. Is the bigger goal improving productivity? Is the bigger goal increasing throughput? Is increasing satisfaction, right? And then as you focus on that bigger goal, there's lots of different hows to get there. And so I think one thing as an engineer, we're in a very unique position of being very focused on how you can do things. And I think we're very good at stepping through the different tactical options. But I think the difference between a an engineer that is that is very tactical and one that will find it easier to move up in the leadership ranks is also being able to balance those tactics with why you are even considering those tactics. And the reality could be that if there is a different horse that will get you to that endpoint faster, don't be afraid to switch horses, right? And I think leadership really needs that ability to have someone that can bounce between both that 50,000 foot view and the on the ground view of what's real to navigate businesses in a way that will, yes, ultimately get them to their true upper level goal in a way that is bound by reality and is going to be an efficient use of all the resources and talent that's available. That's great advice. Thank you for sharing. And Penny, thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today. From your story of how you became interested in STEM and chose chemical engineering and how chemical engineering and business really dovetail nicely and how 
you see engineers playing significantly in the transformation of technology within companies to your personal stories. Thank you so much for sharing your personal story of battling leukemia and how it's impacted your family. And again, congratulations on your two children. That's fantastic. Um, I think our listeners have really learned a lot from having you on the podcast today. I know I have. So thank you again. Thank you, Rachel. I'm Rachel Morford. For all of us at SWE, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Diverse. Please don't forget to leave us a review and share this episode with your social network. Thanks for listening.